Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Bowman, the host of Side Door, a podcast with candid conversations with world-class entrepreneurs. If you're ever on U.S. tech Twitter, there's currently an anti-media theme circulating. The tech elite do not trust mainstream media, and they are encouraging every person and every startup to think of themselves as a media company. While it's easy to start a Substack newsletter or publish a company blog or start a podcast like this, creating a sustainable media company is extremely difficult. The difference between creating occasional content versus quality content on a consistent basis is vast. This doesn't even take into account scaling and monetizing the content, which has proven to be a major challenge. Today's guest is Pangran Siahan, co-founder and CEO of Asumsi.co. Asumsi is a leading millennial media publication. Founded in 2017, the site has been bootstrapped until recently, when they raised a seed round from East Ventures. Having tried to build a media site in the past, and now this podcast, I know firsthand that bootstrapping a media company is a battle. Getting any kind of traction is a success. But getting the 10 million monthly views Asumsi has is quite the feat. And that's where my conversation with Pangadan starts. What type of content was needed in Indonesia, and how Asumsi filled this need and started to build its brand. All right, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hi. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for making the time. I know uh, everything's crazy now. So yeah. <laughs> you are the co-founder and CEO of Asumsi.co, correct? Yes. And uh, All right. can you... Before you go into what Asumsi is, can you give the listeners a little background uh, as to who you are, where where you grew up, and then like your professional history before you founded Asumsi? Uh, sure. So uh, I was uh, born and bred in Jakarta. Uh, I've been working in the media uh, industry for over ten years. Um, you know, from the print, uh, TV, also on digital media. Uh, most people know me from uh, my work actually on the sports industry because I spend most of my uh, time in my media career at the sports where I presented uh, live sport matches. I was there for six years. Um, in 2017, uh, my partner and I decided to uh, start this media startup called Asumsi. Uh, our initial idea was to make uh, some sort of uh, youth-centric, uh, deeper, long-form kind of journalism, the kind of uh, the media that we didn't really have here in Indonesia. Uh, when I built that, I was still working uh, for the Sports TV. But in 2019, I decided to, you know, to uh, quit uh, my work at on TV and decided, you know, to uh, to more build and establish Asumsi as you know right now. Uh, I think uh, if I have to sum up Asumsi um, and to describe what we do, uh, basically we are a multi-platform media company. Uh, our topics generally cover uh, politics, current affairs, and also pop culture uh, because our main audience is, you know. Uh, the uh, so-called millennials and Gen Z. So I think what makes us different to the others is because we really package uh, 
our products, our articles, videos, and social media approach in a very useful and internet friendly. I think that's pretty much it about it. So, Tommy, you you had said that when you first started it, there there was a gap in the market, right? There wasn't this youthful content. Do you know why that was, or you know, and has that since you guys started, has there been more competition for this this audience uh, since then? Uh, yeah. Uh, well. We thought that uh, there were a lot of media and media products aimed for the youth back then, but uh, you know, uh, none of them actually, you know, really talking and publishing about you know about news, about the current affairs and the natural interest, for instance, because those are the things that uh, previously taught as as something that is not friendly to the youth, right? Because I think uh, both media uh, back then covered a lot, you know, about uh, unboxing gadgets, talking about parties, talking about, uh, you know, uh, all the stuff that, you know, are deemed not serious to the old traditional media. Uh, and because we, you know, we draw inspirations from what we uh, saw abroad, like, like instance in the US, and in the UK, like there's, you know, there's a lot of media like, let's say like Vice or like BuzzFeed, you know, with the very friendly, youthful approach, but also talking and covering, you know, the more serious things. I think that's the, you know, that's the thing that we saw back then. And yes, uh, things are quite different right now because I think not only for the emerging and the other this media, I think for a lot of, you know, the old establishment media also uh, think that, you know, they have to do something different to cater, you know, the, the younger uh, audience. I think, yeah, uh, we have seen a lot of competitions compared to when we started a few years ago. Okay, so you're, it sounds like in the beginning, um, there wasn't any content that was serious that geared toward uh geared toward the target audience you know mm -hmm. i guess you were saying media publishers just kind of went with that that buzzfeed type content and that's what they thought would they would cater to but uh you you discovered that <clears throat> there's a need and there's a a demand for for the serious content, but for the, with a younger voice to it, correct? Yes, yes, you're right. And then, uh, so I wanna get into, you know, you recently raised some money, but it seems like uh, you've, you've had this company running for a few years and you've been bootstrapping it uh, mm -hmm. up until now, right? And so yep. bootstrapping media companies is quite difficult and you have you know publicly stated that you've amassed an audience of 10 million viewers per month which is quite mm -hmm. impressive so can you kind of talk to us you know about what is that evolution of how you built that that traffic and what what are some things that you know work for you to really start hitting that crescendo of more regular traffic uh and then how did you take it from you know a few hundred a few thousand to to the state where you're at 10 million today okay um i think i have to also share uh you know my experience and my 
and my background where I didn't really have, you know, uh, a business experience. So when I first, you know, jump into this whole media business thing, I actually had next to zero knowledge about this. Uh, I had a few co-founders back then. They are no longer with me as we speak. Uh, we also, uh, we also managed to uh, find an angel investor to uh, help us with the funding at, you know, at the start of our company. But like I said, because none of us really, you know, uh, knew much about, about uh, the whole digital media business thing. So at the, you know, at the beginning, actually, uh, everything that we did, almost uh, let us, you know, to a cold sock Because the things that we thought, you know, was gonna uh, take us to a very good financial situation and also a business business situation like we selling graphics, we uh, publish articles on our website, we managed to draw like million audience, face views, and users, we thought that those are the things that were enough for us to run this company. And it turned out there's nothing true about that. Because um, I think if we uh, talk about a media company and a media brand, I think there's one variable that almost, uh, that's almost impossible to establish in a very short time. It's about branding and reputation, right? So at the first of, you know, at the beginning of our company, when we first started, we just built a website. We hired a team of writers and reporters, and then we published the articles. And then our partner, you know, uh, he brought on a growth hacker, you know, to help us to get more audience. And at you know, at one point, um, we managed, I think, to get like two million users per month on our website. But you know, for more than a year, we couldn't do anything about that. Like we couldn't sell it to the brands, we couldn't sell it to the advertising, and so on and so forth. Why? Because we just found out that you know. Uh, those numbers don't really mean much if you don't have, you know, the branding and the reputation, right? Because there's a lot of websites actually in Indonesia that could, you know, garner such numbers or even bigger. So I think, uh, I thought we had to build something different that really would, you know, take us apart from our other rivals, right? I think our, uh, our turning point actually happened in 2018, I think, uh, because it's leading up to the year of the election. So, so uh, stuff like politics and elections were very popular back then. Uh, that's where we started to realize that I think we had to do something on YouTube. Uh, we published videos on YouTube back then, but uh, you know we didn't really take it seriously. So uh, I myself, I came up with this idea where uh, I I hosted a talk show with you know two young politicians. There's nothing you know. There's there's nothing spectacular about 
about the concept. I think it's a very it's a very basic concept. It's just me talking with two politicians from the opposing side. Um, I think we taped the video for like 40 minutes. The name of the show is Pangeran Mingguan. It's Pangeran Weekly, basically. Um, and during the first or two hours after we published the video, the traction of views went crazy. Like we never had this that kind of traction before. Like we could under like uh we could get like a hundred or like uh, two hundred thousand viewers uh in the first in the first hours. So um that was the moment that you know that we realized that it's not only about the numbers, it's not only about the viewers and the audience, but what kind of numbers and what and what kind of products do we produce, you know? Because after we publish Pangeran Mingguan, you know, for I think for five to six months, I think that's where we first started, you know, to be able to get money from the sponsors and the branding. Not all content is created equally. What you read on BuzzFeed is not the same as what you would read on the New York Times. I subscribe to the information, while others prefer to read free content on ClickHole. The point is, there are many types of media sites for different audiences. But you need to find your niche and have a strategy for creating quality content. There's just too much free content available to compete with if your content isn't that good or focused. Bootstrapping forces you to be strategic. You don't have the time or money to waste throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. Next, we discuss how Asumsi approached their content creation and their strategy to compete with the larger media companies. Do you have any lessons or tactics that or strategies that you, you worked on? You said you had hired a growth hacker and he was or she was helpful <clears throat> getting you to that 2 million monthly users, right? Were there, was there anything mm -hmm. that, that um, listeners could learn from it and apply to, to their companies at all? Um, I think I have to emphasize that, uh, I don't think that those numbers, those, you know, those users, if you have a website, uh, I think, I don't think that that's the kind of thing that you should put on the top of your priority, right? Because I think the number one, I think the most important thing is about the quality of your product. If you have a media, it's like the quality of your articles, your videos, and then after that, like, the consistency because okay. i think to publish a one great article or one great video i think it's much easier than like publishing 10, uh, 10 good videos constantly so i think if the quality i think the thing that you have to see is like the consistency of your publishing uh because uh we got like two to three million unique users per month but like i said we couldn't sell our traction because you know the uh the ad model based on you know the viewers and the audience i don't think that there's a lot of you know a brand or agencies want to do business with a new unknown medium right so we have to you know we have to put our name on the table with the big boys first and then by then we start talking about you know about the numbers and the policy okay so if i'm understanding you correctly you 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 built this traffic right and so you probably had 
you know, dozens, hundreds of articles of different types of content, right? And <clears throat> in aggregate, you're at 2 million, but Assume C itself had no identity. And it was hard to translate those numbers into some kind of uh, packaging sponsorship for, for advertisers. So even though you had all of this traffic, which looks good from an analytics perspective, uh, you didn't, you had yet to develop this brand, this cohesive brand. So you're saying that when you um, you developed this YouTube um, YouTube talk show about with politicians, right? That's mm. when that's when you started to really establish what Asumsi stood for and the co co kind of content that you would uh, you'll be creating on a, a consistent basis. And so now you. You have this story, you have this product that uh, along with the traffic numbers, you could you could go to different advertisers and brands uh, and start those collaborations. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. And I think I've also to say that that um, because if we talk about the media business, the media companies, we talk we mostly talk about volumes, right? We talk about how many articles we publish every day, how many videos we publish every day. And I think there's a correlation that's a very heavy link to, you know, to how much, how much resource and capital you have to how many videos and articles you can publish every day. Because the resource that you have will translate to how many workers do you hire, right? So uh, I think, that's where we had to play smart because uh because we realized that we couldn't play the game based on volume because i think with the size of our company with you know our stature as as a startup i think we would get crushed you know by the bigger rivals if we play the volume game so that's where we decided to play the quality game and the value game instead of the volume game so translated into making and also uh, publishing less, but with, you know, with a bigger impact, with the better quality that would get us through. If we could only like publish one video every week, but that video will translate into a hundred thousand, even million viewers, I think that can get us by. So then can you tell me more about how you guys approach creating this really valuable content are you <clears throat> strictly looking at um you know search trends are you looking at uh or you know is it is it the host that's that's dominating and that's going to drive this traffic or like the production value like how are you consistently churning out great content at first because i have to say that um we already had a a base of audience, right? Because I was on TV and also we had this experience on social media with large following. So we didn't start from zero. So we already had an existing fan base for, you know, uh, since the beginning of our company. Um, so when we started to, you know, to uh, make that sh show and host it by me, I think like the main selling point then was me and the guests, right? The guests. It's 
going on for I think from uh, October to uh, May. I think it's like six months more or less. Uh, but by then we also realized that I think if we create something very dependent on the persona of the host or the guest or whatever, I don't think that you know that's enough to be sustainable because what happens if you know if the persona is not there? What happens if the host is not me? Can we still produce like a similar video or show like like we produced before? Um, that's uh, where that's when we thought and we decided not to you know not to depend on on the creator or the figure, but more about the values and the topics and the style that we want to use if uh, we're about to publish or produce a video. Like for instance, um, for now, we have like two flagship products, uh, both our videos, which you guys can look it up on YouTube. Uh, uh, first, it's called Asumsi District. Asumsi District is, you know, uh, we go to uh, a certain place Usually, uh, places or districts that are not popular or known to be, you know, rough in various cities. We went there. We talked to the people. Uh, we covered how they live their lives, what kind of social problems do they have there, and then we put everything together, and then we presented to the audience, and the audience loved it. Um, the second one is called Krah Biru. It translated into blue color. In English, it's where we, you know, we go to meet like the workers and you know the people who work in informal sectors, uh, the kind of work that maybe most people don't know they exist. Like for instance, uh, we went to meet somebody whose business is to get like used old toilet, they clean it up and then they resell it. You know. To the people, and they make a big buck out of it. So that's the kind of thing that we do at this program called Rahbiru. Uh, I think the the ba the basic principle behind this is about we scan our you know we scan the competition. Uh, we see what our rivals do, and most of them still play in the you know uh, hard news field. We don't want to play hard. Uh, we don't want to play hard because we don't have the resource and the volume, you know, to chase the news, you know, to put people on the ground, to get you know, news updated every hour. We would love to do that, but we don't have manpower to do that. So that's where we have to play smart. And then um, I think we also, uh, you know, because I'm a big fan of the U.S. media as well, we see what, you know, what you guys are doing there in the U.S. And then we try to adapt uh, and some principles I think we could apply and you know put the Indonesian local wisdom to you know to put into our content. So it sounds like you are you're saying that you've made a very concerted effort not to be like a CNN type uh, news outlet and more you know of like a vice where you're you're looking you create these series you create these <clears throat> gritty topics uh, that people want to hear about. And, and create the stories around that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, 
uh, <clears throat> every time I get interview like this, I I always mention Vice because, like, to be very honest, when the first idea of Asumsi was conceived in my mind, I really had Vice in my head, right? And when I first thought of that, you know, Vice had not entered Indonesia yet. So, like, a month before we launched Asumsi, Vice opened their Indonesian branch, like, branch. And I was like, yo, they're here. So how should we compete with them, right? Uh, because I also realized that Vice didn't really want to do, you know, too much politics back then because they're a foreign entity. So I think that's the main differential from uh, us at the beginning of our, you know, of our business. So politics is definitely one of your your core content tenants that you you drive a lot of interest around. Uh, yeah, although uh, for now we wanna, you know, we wanna diversify our products because we don't really wanna be known as a strictly political media, right? Like, we don't wanna be the innovation political because, you know, because politics is not something that you can sell like how the media sell politics in the U.S., right? Because, you know, brands, advertisers are pretty much conservative when it comes, you know, to the political stuff. So uh, we, we decided to diversify our products, our topics. We still wanna be, you know, quote unquote, edgy, but we just wanna talk about anything interesting, you know, to the people. It doesn't have to be politics. Sometimes it's politics, but it could be like a lot of things. So I think what you, you know, you're talking about finding that, that balance uh, between what your, your audience wants and then also kind of, to be honest, like what, what do advertisers and, and brands want? Um, I work in the media industry. I know that online media is extremely tough. And I think, you know, you mentioned the U.S. Uh, market. A lot of <clears throat> U.S. media publications are having a lot of difficulties, even even we're seeing consolidation in some of the startups that um, raised yep. a lot of, of funding. So a lot, uh, you know, there's a tendency with these companies to sensationalize the media or, you know, clickbait and to get people into to coming to them. How do you, how do you balance that editorial integrity versus uh, yeah. creating content that, you know, people do want to come in because, uh, you do need that balance in order to to monetize it. Oh, when it comes to uh, to you know things like clickbait in Indonesia, I think that's a very funny case because we have come across to this study that says that you know I don't think we should still call it a clickbait because in Indonesia people don't really click the headlines like they they stop at reading the headlines. And and I think uh, that's you know uh, that's how the that's how the Indonesian audience, most Indonesian audience, consume their news. Um, when it comes to you know to put headlines like that in our media, I don't think that's aligned to what we do, because like I said, uh, for now we're not really focused on you know, on uh, establishing and making a lot of articles and news that could really use 
a sensational headline. Uh, we put much of our work right now on videos. Um, I think uh, when it comes to publishing videos on YouTube, for instance, I think it comes with a lot of different challenges. Like for instance, I think you have to be a bit sensational when it comes to decide what, uh, what kind of titles that you want to use or what kind of thumbnails that you want to put to attract you know, the audience to click on your videos. But I think if we want to categorize headlines like a very clickbaity, like what you write on the headline doesn't have anything to do with what's in the article, I don't think that we're doing that. When it comes to, you know, to, to, uh, to put like the so-called firewall between uh, the business side and also the editorial side, I think uh, I think uh, the media companies these days have to be quite flexible. I understand that I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of critics, you know, from the more traditional media that says that the media these days don't really have a separation, like stuff like the content have been under fire, you know, from the old guard of media because it's it really blurred, you know, the line of the news and the business, right? Um, I think number one for me personally and also for for the people at Asumsi, I think the media we we shouldn't ever publish uh, you know, a false video or article or any kind of news by any purpose. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, the integrity of the content <clears throat> is extremely valuable and, you know, a core value of, of the company and the reason why people trust you and, and keep coming back uh, for your content. Media is a tricky business. I currently work in a media agency and we work with many different publishers. Relying on advertising revenue to sustain your business is a double-edged sword. It keeps you in business, but it forces you to play the numbers game. More readers or viewers, the more valuable your ads are worth. But to gain that audience, sometimes media companies publish sensationalized news to attract readers, devaluing the rest of their content. In the digital era, monetizing media has become more difficult, but companies are figuring it out. The New York Times recently announced they hit 7 million digital subscribers. To this point, Asumsi has been bootstrapped, meaning they didn't take any outside funding. But recently, they raised funds from East Ventures. Pangaran and I discussed the business model of media companies, how they plan to monetize themselves in the future, and what their new round of funding will be used for. Is your business model purely ad-based, or do you see you know, other ways to monetize uh, your business moving forward? Uh, for now, the main, the main model for us is still relying on ads. Uh, although I also realized that I don't think that that's the most sustainable business model going forward. I think uh, the media industry at large uh, face a very, you know, very big un uncertainties about how should we do this kind of business, right? Like for instance, uh, I think I just had this meeting with my business team and when it comes to, you know, um, to look for the big advertisers, I think uh, 
most capital right now are owned by the tech companies, right? Uh, you know, like uh, name any marketplace. I think they have like a gigantic amount of as budget. But what happened if I think the trend for those companies, for those tech companies, is like they they have their own media and then they host their own show, their own programs, and I think any media companies all over the world, including Indonesia, I think they have to take note of that, right? Because all this time, uh, we, the media people, you know, we, we see ourselves as like the gatekeeper of information from, you know, from, from the stakeholders, the government, the business, the private sectors, to the bigger audience and public. But what happened is those stakeholders who are also, you know, like uh, the the big ad spenders and advertisers have their own media. So, you know, so what kind of role do the media gonna play in terms of business? So I think to, uh, to, to rely on ads only going forward, I think that's a very dangerous path to, uh, you know, to walk yeah. on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think a lot, uh, a lot of media companies are, are facing that that issue. How do they monetize beyond ads, you know, subscriptions, e-commerce, um, you know, I'm blanking on any other uh, formats. I think other than the app model, I, I understand that um, uh, that the most media in the U.S. and Europe, I think they have turned into the subscription model, right? Like what they do at the New York Times and the Guardian as well in the UK. And I've been asked a lot about whether this kind of subscription model is gonna work in Indonesia. Um, I think there's a chance of it happening, I think to be a very successful model in the future. Although I think it comes with a certain challenge. Like for instance, I don't think the Indonesian audience really value news and content as something that they want to spend their money on. I think longer, better, and bigger media like the Jakarta Post or like Sample, they have their own subscription model, right? And I don't think that the audience see values in that, uh, let alone for the newer and smaller media like us. So I think I have a theory that actually the audience here, they, they want to spend their money on something, but not on the media content. So I think a lot of media companies have to, you know, have to do, do their homework and to find somebody to find something that this audience wanted to put their money on. So what would that, what would that be? Um, I think uh, I'm really fascinated with the fandom economy because I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people want to spend their money on you know on their favorite bands, musicians, comic artists, Instagram models, and so on and so forth. It's because you know the business and the economy is based on fandom. It's not really based on, you know, on the news content, for instance. Uh, 
uh, at Asumsi, we have tried a few times. Uh, we have this platform called Your Media. It's uh, some sort of uh, crowdfunding uh, model for our audience where, you know, we publish a video. If you like our videos, if you like how we produce this video, you can contribute money as small as like less than one dollar. At first, uh, you know, the reception was kind of warm. Like, yes, we could get like a few million rupees, but but that's it. But after we, you know, we make a package and a bundle, we where you can contribute like a hundred thousand k rupiah. Uh, it's like ten dollars, and then you get a T-shirt from us with our brands there on a T-shirt. And uh, you know the traction and the amount that the money we raise from that kind of bundle way bigger than the kind of amount that raised before. So we begin to question whether the audience like our products or they just want our T-shirts, right? Or it could only uh, it it could be concluded that they like our products, they like our videos, they value our content, but they need a token to you know to spend their money on, and that token cannot be you know an intangible item like video or article. It has to be something that they can own. I think that's the that's the understanding that. Yeah, we have right now if we want to you know to crowdfund from the audience interesting yeah so <clears throat> tipping tipping is something that a lot of media companies have tried and it is very difficult to gain traction but i think you're spot on when you're saying that this market needs they need something tangible to that they receive for their money yeah. um so you you know, we had previously mentioned that you had just raised um, <clears throat> some seed money from East Ventures. Can you, mm -hmm. can you talk to us more about what is, now that you have this new funding, what is your vision for Asumsi? And, uh, you know, it's, you said that you're going to build up this technology infrastructure. Can you give us more details of what, what that means? I think the only way for a media company at this era to survive and to even thrive, I think, it has to embrace technology. Uh, I think for us media people in Indonesia, I think when it comes to combining media and tech, I think it stops, most of the time, it stops at having a website and an IT team. I think that's the kind of mentality that has to be changed. I think uh, we have to incorporate more technology into the media work. Uh, that's also something that I learned from studying the media in the US, right? Like, for instance, when Jeff Bezos acquired Washington Post, I think one of the first things that he did is, you know, to build and to establish a tech department and to impose like all those facts on the Washington Post products, right? Um, because if uh, I think the problems and the challenges, you know, that are faced by the media business is not about the content. It doesn't evolve around the content. So if the problem is not about the content, I don't think that the solution has to evolve the content as well. Like I think I've met 
a lot of media people that says that I think we have to make more money. Therefore, we have to create more videos and create more articles. I don't think that's a problem. The problem is, you know, the media is losing the relevancy. And I think the problem is like only going bigger in the future. Um, the, from the kind of understanding, I think we have thought very hard about how should we combine this, uh, you know, this tech stuff with the kind of media work that we do right now. I can say that um, we're building, like, I think for now, our biggest asset is actually not, not owned by us because I think our biggest audience right now is on YouTube. We don't own the platform, right? We just have the channel there. So I think the main idea is how to refunnel all, all these audience that we have you know, from from YouTube and from Instagram, from other social media uh, accounts, how to refine all this audience back to our place. I think the conservative understanding would translate into making on website and on platform wise. But I don't think um, I don't think it can stop there because there's a lot of you know there's uh, there's a lot of media that also have you know. They are, they are on websites that are on apps and platforms and still cannot do well, you know, with with this kind of situation right now. Um, I don't think that I can share much about what, what we're building right now. Uh, other than, I think we want to build some sort of uh, news aggregator to help the audience consume the news better. I don't think that we lack quality newsmakers or news websites in Indonesia, but I don't think the audience know where should they go if they want to read about politics, where should they go if they want to read about economics, or where should they go if they want you know a deep analysis on something that they like. I think that's the kind of problem that you know that we want to solve. Uh, with the investment we have. Okay, so two two things stand out. One, it sounds like you're you want to build some kind of content discovery platform, uh, and two, it, I think it is the most crucial part is that you want to you want to own your audience, right? You talk about right now your yeah. audience is largely on YouTube, uh, which is a great way to start. But I think um, you know Jason Talacanis. He started Mahalo, uh, and then that turned into Inside.com. But you know, one of the things that he largely said was, Mahalo was built off of YouTube traffic, and then as soon as the algorithm uh, changed, their their traffic dropped by like eighty percent overnight. Uh, yeah. so, you know, it, it makes sense what you're saying. How you need to future-proof your your content so that uh, that audience is truly yours. Yeah, true. So then. You know, you have this greater vision for for Assume C, right? You you have a few years of experience um, under your belt in in building this and creating a brand, building traffic. Um, do you have any any lessons or a uh, piece of advice that you would give uh, a a younger entrepreneur, someone who is starting out who wants to get into media? What would you tell them? <laughs> 
Um, I think you have to be very passionate when it comes to media, right? Uh, because I don't think it's the kind of business for the faint-hearted. Uh, we're, we're dealing with the landscape uh, with a very huge degree of uncertainties. I don't think that the, you know, the, the whole digital world know what should be done, you know, to these familiar problems. So if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, if you want to, you know, start your own media companies, I think you have to be very, you have to be very sure about what you want to do and what you want to build and, um, and what kind of strength that you have. Because I think uh, most of the media, most of the media companies that has been successful, if I can compare examples from the US and here also in Indonesia and in other countries, I think in Indonesia, I think the, the better performing media in terms of digital is not founded by media people. Because I think, uh, because I think if you have worked in media industry for quite a long time, or you, if you have a few years of experience, I think uh, it's not easy for you to to come up with new ideas and fresh ideas when it comes to media business. I think that's something that has to be remembered, um, and. I think you have to be, you know, you have to be very flexible and very agile. Um, I think there's something that hasn't been touched before is about, you know, I think that's something that I can share about um, how we managed to get through all this bootstrapping phase, right, for a couple of years because we couldn't even, you know, raise money from the sponsors and the ads. Um, for the first two years because we couldn't sell our media products because we because we couldn't sell our spaces basically so we did a lot of we did a lot of advertising and agency work you know we just be you know a mediator or an intermediary from some brands or agencies to the other brands and to the other agencies right because you know we just had to keep this boat sailing right and I think uh, not everybody, you know, when you start when you start making money from your side job, and then you could think that I think that this should be my main job, and the first job that I think should be uh, done at the primary, I think you will tend to live that. Like for us, the temptation to live our media business and to switch fully into the agency model i think that's very tempting but because our our mission and our vision is to have to have to run and to establish a media company so no matter how you know how big and how how good the performance that we have on the side job the agency thing still our you know our main main business is still agency the media company so i think uh, that's the most valuable, the most valuable lesson I have. Um, and like I said, uh, when we first started Asumsi, there were a few of us uh, because none of you know uh, because not everybody shared the same idea about about the media business. So I'm the I'm the only I'm the only person standing right now. 
I see. I see. Yeah. It, you said it was a, it's a tough business and you really have to, to want it. So that, you know, illustrates the point perfectly. Uh, before we go, uh, you want to let people know where they can find you online? Uh, sure. Uh, you could uh, check on all my social media. I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram, Twitter. I'm most active on Twitter at Pangeran Uh But if you want to, you know, uh, check all of our videos, I think you can go to YouTube. Uh, I haven't made TikTok yet. So, yeah, there's not a cool channel. Great. Thank you. I will, I'll link all that in the description. Uh, thank you, Pangeran, for the time. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Likewise, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Side Door Podcast. Please subscribe and drop a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. I have one more episode left in season one, and then I'll be back in February with the start of season two. Until next time, stay curious.